0: I'm not promising anything that's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great to be here. If you have your Bibles, we are going to continue our verse by verse study through the book of James. We are in James chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and these fine gentlemen will bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. James chapter 4 verses 13 through 17. Starting in verse 13, James writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. The of my message this morning is, Time is Not on Your Side. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to spend in your word this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us understanding and application of your word, that as we leave this place this morning, we are more in love with you, more in tune to the leading of your Holy Spirit, more excited to do your will. Lord, just do that work in our hearts this morning. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us individually, Lord, what you have to say to us as a church corporately. And Lord, we also pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, to to make that commitment to follow you and turn from their sin. Lord, would you especially speak to their heart? Help them to see their need for a Savior and that they would come to know you today. Thank you for our time together. We committed to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Fall is in the air. We uh, took a drive up to Fellows Lake yesterday, and it was just a beautiful trip. The trees, I mean, just red and yellow. My wife, she gets excited when she sees the trees, and it kind of scares me when I'm driving, because she goes, Oh, watch it, look at that. It's like, What, what? Oh, it's a red tree. It's a gold tree. One of the amazing things that, 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 uh, you know, amazes me anyway is, is how quickly time seems to be passing. My birthday is this week. You know, when I was a kid, a young kid, and you're young, man, life passed really, really slowly, you know, especially in elementary school. Like, oh, man, if I was just a teenager, oh, then it'd be great. Oh, if I just turn 16, I get my license, freedom is going to be wonderful. Then after that, you hit, oh, if I just turn 21, then it's going to be great. But then, you know, you, you hit 21, well, no one really takes me seriously anymore. Then you turn 30. Oh, 30, this is great. I'm just going to camp out in 30 for a long time. And then you blink and you're 40. And then all of a sudden you turn around in your 60s, going, What happened? It's getting serious now. I'll be 64 on Thursday. My wife and I, when we got married, yeah, praise the Lord. Thank you, God, that I'm here. <laughs> we were 18 and 19 when we got married. And we had a special song at our wedding reception. Maybe you've heard it by the Beatles. When I'm 64. I'm here now. I'm going, no. I sing it to her, you know, if I've been out till quarter to three, will you lock the door? She says, yes, I will. Will you still feed me? No, I won't. Not if you're out till three. Will you still need me? No. Not if you're staying at When I'm 64. We've been watching. My mother-in-law likes these old television shows. We've been watching since she's been out. She went home this last week, but uh, she wanted to watch decades. I don't know if you've ever seen that channel. And they, they show what's happening On that day, like October 20th, throughout all the decades. And I'm finding that I'm reminding, I I, I have more memories of the decades than I do of individual years. And now I look around and go, we're almost a third of the way through the 2020s. And time just seems to be going so quickly. And really, as we come out of James chapter 4, this is the very topic that he's raising here. The quickness of human life, the brevity of human life. How fast life passes by. Understand, time is really a gift from God. And I'm thankful for the time God's given me here. But Jesus could take me home. Jesus could take you home at any given moment. So we want to make the most of the time that we have left. But I look around and sadly, in our pleasure-dominated, pleasure-seeking society, we are seeing increasingly a world full with people who live their lives with no thought for eternity, Certainly no thought to looking to God. And it seems to have happened so quickly. One day there's, there's prayer in school. There's, there's Bibles in the kids' desks. There's morality in the country. There's respect one for another. And suddenly, like overnight, it's gone. And this path downward really happened, I would say, about the same time prayer was taken out of the public school system back in 1962. According to William Bennett, former Secretary of Education, between 1960 and 1990, he gives these statistics. Since taking prayer out of schools in 1962, SAT scores have dropped 80 points, teenage suicide rose 200 percent, violent crimes have soared 560 percent, illegitimate births have leaped 400 percent, children in single-parent households have tripled and divorce rates have quadrupled. Those are old statistics. It's much worse today. Even in our earliest days in our public schools, there would be a Bible that the students would read in the morning. But then they, they banned the Bible, they banned prayer, and within a few short years, they're no longer teaching creation. They're teaching evolution, and not just as a theory, but as a fact. Today, today in our public school system, there, there's resources and lesson plans for those who want to teach about gender identity. And school boards wanting to, to push critical race theory. Seven states now require that curriculums include LGBTQ topics. I think of the backlash last August when Governor DeSantis of Florida banned gender identity sexual orientation instructions in grades kindergarten through third grade. I say, that's great, that's awesome, but it's horrible to even look at it as even an issue today. And we just see this rapid spiral downward in a relatively short amount of time. And my point is this. When we fail to seek God for the directions and the decisions in our lives, then we make decisions on what we think is right in our own eyes, then we're in trouble as a society. We're in trouble as a nation. We're in trouble as a church. Listen, many Christians who attend church on a regular basis, they marry, they choose vacations, they have children, they buy and they sell homes, they expand their portfolios, they ride through life without any, any substantial reference to the will of God, without any thought about what God would have them to do in their life. And that's what James is attacking here this morning. He's addressing this this morning. See, James, as we've been going through the book of James, James doesn't mince words. We, we found that out. He tells it like it is. And because it's God's Word, it pierces our hearts. And it's often things that are hard to hear, but we need to hear them. And James is saying, time is short. It's not on our side. Yeah, society is rapidly changing, and we need to draw near to God, and God will draw near to us. He said all of that. Now, if you're taking notes this morning, I want to look at three mistakes that these early Christians were warned about that we believers need to be warned about as well. Three mistakes that we could make. Number one, planning the future without God. Number two, presuming to know the future. And number three, postponing what should be done today. Mistake number one, planning the future without God. James starts out in verse 13 with the words, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. story I read about a young eight-year-old Billy, uh, whose parents were talking to him about what he wanted to do when he grows up. And Billy said, well, I want to go to Harvard just like you and mom did. Well, happy their child, you know, wanted to go to school in this future. They continued to ask him, and Billy, what do you want to to take when you attend college? Pondering it over for some time and and glancing around the living room, he, he looked up and said, well, I'd like to take the TV if you don't mind. James here is telling us in verse 13, he starts out with, Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. I don't want you to miss those first two words. Come now. It's not a simple warning. He's not saying, oh, and by the way, it'd be a good idea if you... No, these are bold words. We would say, listen up. Pay attention. It's like you as a parent saying to your son, boy, you listen to me and you listen to me good. And as a kid, you knew that dad was very serious, that he's about to lay it on you. He's just serious about what he's, what he's going to say. Just as serious as James said before that he admonished us for showing a spirit of independence from God by looking to the world for wisdom. He was serious when he told us about fighting and quarreling with one another and lusting after the pleasures of this world. James really noticed last week when he said, Don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? But now he says, Come now. Listen up. You need to be aware of this. You say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Verse 13. See, James is talking to Christian businessmen at that time. Those that were in the world of commerce, they were buying, they were selling, they were investing. He was addressing them because they seemed to have been taking credit for the blessings that God was giving to them. These particular businessmen that James was speaking to were were boasting of their ability to make money, to be successful. And in the process of doing so, leaving God out of the equation, forgetting all about God. In spite of the fact that these were professed believers, they were living like practical atheists. By that I mean, as I mentioned already, there are people today who will speak of their faith in God, they'll claim to be followers of Jesus, but in the way they conduct their daily business, there's no thought whatsoever of the will, the plan, or the purpose of God. So they become practical atheists. Now, James is not saying it's wrong to plan. We know that it's right to plan. We've all heard the saying, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Nothing wrong with planning and and that process. In fact, in many ways, what we see here in chapter 4, the first part, is a great model for a five-step business plan. In verse 13, it says that the the plan is constructed first and foremost. You say today or tomorrow. That's a good plan. You need to have that flexibility when you're setting out a plan. This, This could be executed. We could start today. We can start tomorrow. Step number two in the plan, the place. We will go to such and such a city. That's a good plan. I'm gonna check out this property. I'm gonna go see if this is a good business deal. There are many business opportunities back then because new cities were popping up all over the place. So often when the cities were founded, they wanted uh, you know, they were looking for citizens to occupy them. And so they, they offered freely to the Jews the citizenship because they knew that if the Jews came in their their money and the trade would follow. So the picture here is a man with a plant. He's looking at a map. He sees a certain area and says, hey, here's a new city. There might be some great opportunities for us in that city. Make some good money here. Nothing wrong with that. Not a bad plan. Step three in a five-step business plan, the time period. We will spend a year there. So they have an entrance and an exit strategy. Again, another good plan. Step four in the business plan, know your purpose. We will go to such and such a city and we'll buy and we'll sell. I mean, if you're a good business person, you know your purpose for starting the venture in the first place. You have a a goal. You want to reach that goal to buy and sell. And finally, we get to the bottom line. Step number five in this business plan is you're going to make a profit, right? You, You want to make money in this. Profit making has become a passion with these merchants. So really, it's not a bad plan. It certainly is not sinful to make a profit. It's a good thing to do in successful planning. But here's the problem. Again, these were Christians that James is writing to. And as Christian businessmen, they should have considered eternity. And they should have consulted with the eternal, all-knowing God before making any of those plans or any of those decisions. Again, he's he's not condemning making wise plans. Jesus even taught that in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 28 through 32, the importance of counting the cost before you start a project. Again, what James is denouncing is leaving God out of our plans, out of the equations. And and, and they do it all the time in in our day-to-day. And there's a disconnect. I think a lot of times they do it because they fear the profit margin. They're afraid that God will say, no, you can't do that. That's dishonest. And and, and they want to get away with it. So they don't look to God. They leave him out of it. They don't want to know what God's Word has to say about this business deal because if they did, then they can't do what they want to do and they won't make any money at it. So they'd rather leave God out of the equation and then claim ignorance. Well, I didn't know that was illegal. (laughs) Yeah, because you didn't read the fine print of God's Word that says do not steal. Listen, if you don't want to look to God's Word because you think it says it's wrong what you're about to do, then let me tell you, don't do what you're thinking about doing, okay? Don't do it. Say, but pastor, you don't understand. I really need this money right now. And time's tough. And I know it's a little shady of a deal. I know it's not really right. But the economy, it's not getting any better. And times are tough. And this will just get me enough just to get me through. Listen, you're forgetting the words of Jesus. What Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Therefore, do not worry saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. James is not condemning those who want to make plans for the future. Rather, he's criticizing the person who makes the plans without seeking the Lord first. So have you prayed about your plan? Have you prayed about where God wants That plan to take place have you prayed about the time period how long does god want you to be a part of this plan have you prayed about the purpose behind the plan what god wants to accomplish have you prayed for god's blessing on the plan that it would be fruitful that you'd make a profit for the glory of god be aware of the will of god in our plans because at times god may just want to change your plans The Lord may say, Hey, listen, I have another plan for you, a different plan than what you think a much better plan. I think of the story of Philip in the book of Acts. The Lord was blessing him down in Samaria. He's preaching the gospel. Everything's going great. People are coming to faith. Miracles are happening. Philip was on a roll. And the Lord comes to Philip and says, Hey, Phil, I want you, I want you to go to the desert. (laughs) What? (laughs) To the desert? Now, what's interesting is not only did God tell him to go to the desert, but God told him to go to an area known as Gaza to a road that really wasn't used. And not only did he tell him to go to a, a, this rarely used road on the outskirts of Gaza, but he also told him to go at the hottest time of the day. Essentially, I want you to go out in the middle of the desert to a deserted road in the middle of the afternoon, the hottest time of the day, and then I'll show you what to do next. You now, sometimes God's will doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Sometimes the Lord will lead us differently than we would like to go, or think we should go. But what we must all come to the realization is that the will of God is perfect, and we should never be afraid of it. We're told in Psalm 19:7, "The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise is simple." So God sent, Philip, down this road. He comes across this Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot, reading out of the book of Isaiah. You can find this in Acts chapter 8. Philip asks him if he knows what he's reading. And he basically says, no, I haven't got a clue. Philip then gives him understanding of how it all spoke of Jesus and Jesus going to the cross and dying for the sins of mankind and rising from the dead and just shares with them. He leads him to Christ and then he has the privilege of baptizing him. The eunuch says, hey, there's some water here. Is there a reason I, I can't be baptized? And no, all let's go. And and he does. I mean, what a day for Philip. How blessed he must have been at the end of the day. Now, Philip could have said, you know, Lord, I've got plans today. I just can't go in the middle of the desert. I, I got this appointment at 2. I got this appointment at 4. I'm supposed to be this guy over here at 6. I, I can't do this. Look at all that he would have missed out on if he would have backed like that. Philip may have had his own plans, but he listened to the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. He changed his plans, and he was blessed by leading someone to the Lord. That's why it's so important that we not plan out our future without seeking the Lord with every decision that we make. Now, this brings us to mistake number two and point number two. They presume to know the future. Presuming to know the future. Look at the first part of verse 14. James says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. None of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Now, as believers, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds our tomorrows. We know Jesus is, is coming back very, very soon because the Bible tells us so. We do know that. But when it comes to everyday life, none of us knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And James is saying here that, that we're foolish to be dogmatic and to have our plan so set in concrete. When you say, I will do this or I will do that, you're being foolish. You've forgotten that God is in control, not you. And life was full of unexpected twists and turns. I read a a sign on one of those psychic businesses that claimed to tell you your future that said, due to unforeseen circumstances, we'll be closed until further notices. (laughs) You don't know what the future brings. But by them thinking that they knew, they really, they made three more errors, if you would. First, they failed to comprehend the complexity of life. See, no matter how hard man tries, he cannot comprehend all the complexities of life as to accurately predict what's going to happen in the future. I mean, look at all the things that they counted on accomplishing. Today, tomorrow, spend a year, buy, sell, trade. Each one had in itself the beginnings of great disappointment. Because how can you ever be sure about tomorrow to say nothing of a year from now? What if there was no buyer? What if there was no seller? What if if interest rates began to rise? What if we go into a recession? What if this happens? What if that happens? Sounds like today, doesn't it? So they failed to comprehend the complexities of life. Things change very, very quickly. 1903, president of Michigan Savings Bank, warned Henry Ford, his lawyer, to protect his money, he said, the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is only a novelty, a fad. J.P. Morgan had just hired Thomas Edison to wire up his mansion, making it the first private residence in New York to have electric lightning. And, and Junius Morgan, uh, his father, said to him, electricity is just a fad. Luckily for his bank account, J.P. Morgan didn't listen to dad and invested heavily in Edison, eventually financing General Electric. Here's another one. Steve Vollmer of the, the CEO of Microsoft, said in 2007... There's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. No chance at all. Technology changes. Times change. Think about the guy who put all his money in Blockbuster Video, you know? <laughs> Polaroid cameras. Kodak. So they, so they fail to comprehend the complexities of life. Secondly, in presuming to know the future, they failed to comprehend the uncertainty of life. Think about this. In 2019, did you book a cruise to the Bahamas for summer of 2020? Did you go to, plan to go to a football game in 2020, a concert in 2020? No one expected COVID and the ramifications of it. No one expected 9 11, the day in history when the World Trade Center buildings would go tumbling down. People they were on their way to work, they were gonna go into this city, they were gonna buy and sell, they were gonna trade, and many of them lost their lives that day. So when we say we're gonna buy and sell, we'll make a profit, go here, and do this, we fail to comprehend the uncertainty of life. So they failed to comprehend the certainty of life. This brings us to the third thing, they failed to comprehend the brevity of life. The brevity of life. Just how short it is. Billy Graham was once asked in an interview, what has been your greatest surprise in life? His answer, the brevity of it. And he lived till he was 99 years old. He died six months before he turned 100. James here asks one of the most profound questions of the entire Bible in verse 14 when he says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, then vanishes away. He's not questioning the origins of life. He's talking about that dash. Okay, that, that there on that, that grave marker that says born, the date, dash, and then died, that date. That that time in between. You know, the Bible has at least 18 metaphors expre- expressing the shortness and uncertainty of life. Let me give you a few examples you can jot down if you want, taking notes. First Chronicles 29.15 We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us, Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. Job, he had a whole lot to say about the shortness of life, probably because he wanted it to be shorter for him at the time, but discouraged and bummed out, he said this in Job 7.7, Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. Job 8, verse 9, For we were born yesterday and know nothing because our days on earth are a shadow, he calls it. Job 14, 1 and 2, How frail is humanity. How short is life. How full of trouble. We blossom like a flower and then wither. Like a passing shadow we quickly disappear. And then Psalm 39, verse 4 and 5. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. See, but there's wisdom in knowing this. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach me to know that time is short. That I want, to, I want to live for you with every second that I have on this earth. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, Jesus told the story of a rich man who had great success. And after he succeeded in life, in Luke 12, verse 17 through 21, it says this. He said to himself, so What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. I like that version of it, that translation of it, because it uses the phrase, take it easy. He says, I'm going to take it easy. That's a phrase that we hear a lot today, don't we? How you doing? Good to see you. Hey, take it easy. You know, And that's what this guy said. I've succeeded. I've achieved it all. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now there are some commendable things about this rich man. He was a hardworking farmer. He probably got up at the crack of dawn. He worked all day. He spent a lot of energy, you know, uh, in order to to uh, achieve success. But his mistake was not in being successful in his work. His mistake was not even even acquiring possessions. His mistake was not making plans for eternity. He's living high on the hog. He forgot that the clock was ticking. The life was passing him by. Here Jesus in the parable called the man a fool, not because he was planning for the future, but because the farmer thought he was in total control of it. And on the very night when he had so carefully laid out his plans, he died and became the fulfillment of the Old Testament proverb. Proverbs twenty-seven and one: do Don't brag about tomorrow, since you don't know what the day will bring. An unknown writer has captured the way life slips through our fingers with these words. When I, when as a child I laughed and wept, and time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran. When older still I grew, time flew. Soon I shall find a passing and passing on, time gone. It's been said, life is like fighting a gorilla. You don't rest when you get tired, you rest when the gorilla gets tired. So three mistakes that the readers made that James is writing to are three points. Planning the future without God. Number two, presuming to know the future. Number three, our last point, postponing what should be done today. Postponing what should be done today. I read that a week ago Thursday was National Procrastination Day and they're going to celebrate it today. So I I don't know. (laughs) I, I also heard of a guy, a man who told his friend after nine months of procrastination of psyching myself up and never following through, last night he says, I finally went to the gym and canceled my membership. <laughs> Procrastination stories, they're funny, but when you think about it, it really is at the root of a lot of our problems that we go through today, a lot of our troubles. Proverbs 12:24 says, "Work hard and become a leader, be lazy and become a slave." Proverbs 3:27 and 28, "Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to help them." If you can help your neighbor now, don't say come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. So the third mistake they were making was postponing what should be done today. You see, the Bible has written the words now in big, bold letters throughout Scripture, especially when it comes to salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. In an acceptable time I have heard you, The Bible says, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The time for obedience is now. We cannot count on tomorrow. We need to take advantage of today. In business terms, yesterday is a canceled check. Tomorrow is a promissory note. Today is the only cash that we have. So now, after looking at all three of these mistakes they made, and the following, the the, the folly of announcing what we're going to do today or tomorrow or next year without any reference to God's will, James now gives us a, a godly alternative. He says, The way the believer in Christ ought to live should be always in a way that looks to honor God in all that we do. How can I, even in this business decision, to honor my God? James says you do this by putting the Lord first. Look at verse 15. He says, Instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, We shall live and do this or that. Now, Paul, so often in his writings, would refer to the will of God in our lives. He told the believers there in Ephesus that he would return to them for renewed ministry if God wills. Then he wrote to the Corinthians that he planned to visit them if the Lord wills. That's important for us to factor in through all of our plans. We make our plans, and that's okay, but we always remember, we always want to say, Lord, if this is your will. Now, that doesn't mean we have to say that about everything we do. You know, someone may say, well, do you want to go get lunch? Well, if the Lord wills. you know, Do you want to order a hamburger today? Oh, no, if God wills, I will. Stop it, weirdo. But, but, <laughs> but if you're a true believer, then your prayer is going to be, not my will, but yours be done. If it's the Lord's will. It's a phrase the early Christians used all the time because they understood something that we've forgotten today. That God has a will and a plan and a purpose for our lives. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future, to give you a hope. Have we been planning our own way with little thought of God's will? Or, or maybe you've been being pulled along by life's events in a direction you've not chosen, though you're sensing God's leading. Listen, either way, our prayer still needs to be, Lord, if this is your will, I want to do it. If it's not your will, Lord, then please show me so I can stop this direction that I'm going. Not my will, but yours be done. But James says, listen, if you're boasting about the plans that that you've made, if you're boasting in the things that, that you want to do, where you want to go, what you want to accomplish without ever seeking the Lord, James says, that's just plain evil. That's just evil. Look at verse 16. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So apparently, these business Christian Christian businessmen that James was writing to, they're boasting and bragging uh, about their independent accomplishments. You know, their accomplishments really apart from God. Oh, we did this and I did this. They're boasting. In fact, the word that used the same word for boasting there is the same word that's used in First John two sixteen for boastful pride. Listen to 1 John 2.16 in the New American Standard. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. The boastful pride of life. That's what, what James is saying. This is not good. This was just such an amazing arrogance that James is saying. All such boasting is evil. You know, we have a classic example of this. Uh, was a man who at one point in his life was the most powerful man on the face of this earth. He was the king of Babylon. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. One night he went out on his royal balcony and he he surveyed this ancient wonder known as Babylon. Before him were the hanging gardens, just beautiful, one of the seven wonders of the the ancient world. Below him stretched the the busy canals and, and tiled walls and all around it he could see the massive walls that were 350 feet high, 87 feet thick, Looked at the two hundred and fifty watchtowers placed in strategic locations. He's looking at this incredible city, walking around, and then he said this in Daniel four, thirty and thirty-one. It is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Look at all I have done, accomplishing how great I am. But then these words came. While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. So quick came God's judgment on Nebuchadnezzar that he fell to the ground, all fours, thinking he's an animal, an ox, and begins eating grass, walking around like an ox until he came to his senses years later. God eventually restored Nebuchadnezzar's sanity and and he came to, to have true faith in God. But how easy we can slip into that same attitude. I built this business. I built this empire. I built this career. Even a minister. I I built this church. I built this ministry. Whatever it is you do, you can try to take credit for it. But the scripture reminds us that it's God that gives us the ability to succeed. Everything we do is from the Lord. A God who gives us the ability to produce wealth. Deuteronomy 8.18, remember the Lord your God, it is He who gave you ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant which you swore to your forefathers as it is today. It says it in Scripture. God gave you that ability. You could not do it if God did not give you the strength to do it, the mind to do it, the ability to do it. So if we're going to boast, boast like the Apostle Paul boasted in his infirmity. Second Corinthians 11.30 If I must boast, I will boast in the things which concern my infirmity. The Lord puts it this way. Jeremiah 9.23-24 and 24, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, For in these I delight, said the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. If you're going to boast, boast that you know the Lord. That that God saved you. You have a relationship with Him. Finally, James concludes in verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And sin can be defined in many ways. There is the sin of commission which is doing that which is wrong, crossing the line, disobeying God, breaking a command. We know that. But there is a sin that James is talking about here. It's the sin of omission. It's failing to do what is right. You know, we as Christians, we do like to, to boast of the things that we no longer do. Well, since I gave my life to Christ, I've changed. I don't do those old things anymore. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't use profanity, I don't steal, I'm faithful to my spouse, I've never broken those vows. Or if you're single, I'm remaining sexually pure. And listen, that's commendable. And that should be in the life of every believer. But sin is not simply not doing the wrong thing, it's failing to do the right thing. So you might be priding yourself on all the things you no longer do, but the question is, are you doing the right things? Because Jesus told us in Mark sixteen fifteen, go into all the world and preach the gospel everywhere. That's the command, by the way. Are we doing that? If you're failing to do that, you can be committing the sin of omission, failing to obey the Lord. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, first Thessalonians five seventeen, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Is your prayer life lacking? Maybe the Lord is speaking to your heart lately about that. He's been saying, hey, you need to be praying more. And you know, oh, man, I need to be praying more. In fact, you laid it on your heart the other day while you're scrolling through all your emails and social media account for about two hours. Had that glazed look over your face. The Lord says, put that thing down. I want you to pray. I kept on scrolling. That could be a sin of omission. Or as you're walking in the mall the other day, maybe you saw the person sitting on the bench looking bummed out. Maybe you saw some tears in their eyes. And God's laid it in your heart. Go talk to that person. That person wants to hear from from me. I want to use you. Oh Lord, I, I can't. I I gotta I gotta go over here. I gotta do this. That can be a sin of omission. The opportunity comes for you to give of your tithes and your offerings. Lord, I don't I don't want tithe. I I need to keep it for myself. Sin of omission. See, the sin of omission is simply not doing what God has called us to do. Again, maybe you pride yourself in the fact that you don't do the wrong things, but are you doing the right things? To him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is sin. Have we been forgetting to seek the Lord in our lives? Have we been not seeking him for the decisions in our lives? It's so easy to do. See, James tells us the source of our problems is in our own selves, our own desires on us for, for self-gratification. It gets in the way. And the more we're in the world, the more the world fills us up. The more we're in the Word, the more that God leads us and directs our lives. So James says, quit thinking about yourselves. Instead, put the will of God at the forefront of your lives. So how do we do that? How do we put God first in our lives and all that we do? I want to close with this. It begins with Bible study. First and foremost, getting in the Word. And then Prayer. And then seeking the Lord, it means worshiping the Lord, desiring to serve Him in all that you do. That's putting God at the forefront of your life. You make it your goal, your plan, your, your business plan to read God's Word, to be a man or a woman of prayer, making sure you don't forsake the gathering of the saints together. Don't commit that, that sin of omission. And then you go and you preach the, the gospel. You, go, you, sh- you share your faith, reading, praying, coming to church, evangelizing. It's putting God first in your life. Let me ask you, are you part of a Bible study outside of, of this Sunday morning service? If not, you need to be. We have Wednesday nights. We have uh, Thursday Thursday evenings, Thursday morning for the ladies and the men, to alternating Bible study to go to. We have college and career study to go through. Well, we're making it available. Some of those we have childcare for. Are you making time in your life to seek the Lord through prayer? If not, you should be. Maybe getting up a few minutes early and just saying, okay, I'm going to pray just for five minutes. Again, spending time together. It's so important in this day and age of online services. Uh, There's something different about being together in, in a congregation and fellowshipping and talking and encouraging one another. You can't do that from the TV in your home. Make corporate worship a priority. Being out of church worship service for an extended period of time will only weaken you and your ability to put the Lord first. And you'll start depending on your own ingenuity and your own desires and your own plans and your own purposes in life. You certainly won't be in that place to be hearing from the Lord. See, all of these actions will help us keep the Lord first in our lives. Again, James tells us the source of our problems is our own selves, our desire for lust lust and self-gratification. But he tells us, quit thinking about yourselves. Put the, the will of God at the forefront of our lives. See, the beautiful thing about this it's when you seek happiness, you're not going to find it. But if you seek the Lord, happiness comes as a byproduct. When I seek to honor my God and live by the principles found in Scripture, in His Word, He may bless me with success, but it comes as a result of having my life in order as I seek first the kingdom of God. He will provide for me. Now, that's not to imply that, that every business dealing is going to be great success and, and it's going to be wonderful. God may bless you in this, or maybe maybe not. But but if you put him first, you'll be honoring uh, godly principles, and you'll sleep a whole lot better at night. You know, if you you know if you don't compromise, you know, because the the, the push is well, just compromise here, just lie. I, I know, just lie a little bit there, and uh, just I know it's, it's you shading the truth a little bit. But man, you could like make a lot more money if you do this. No, you say, no, I, I'm going to stand. On the principles of God's word, do what is right. And yeah, maybe you'll lose out, but God will bless you in the long run. Again, for one thing, you can go to bed with a clean conscience. That's worth a lot. But I think God ultimately will bless you in the long term. See, again, you know, we know those out there. They, they cut corners. They, they, they lie. They cheat. They steal. They manipulate people to get where they're at today. And we watch them and, and and it drives us crazy and we see him move ahead up the ladder and, and, and you've been working really, really hard in your position and you watch that person doing all these these things and, and you go, man, that person's a liar. He's not telling the truth. Why Why does God allow it? Why are the heathen prospering? That's a good question. Remember you remember what the pro- psalmist writes in Psalm 73, 16 and 17. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I wandered to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. I understood their end. They don't know the Lord. They don't have a relation with the Lord. You do. You're putting God first. We have a future. We have a hope. Think of it this way. Even if you did not advance, wouldn't you rather be in the position of, that God wanted you to be in and honest than to get a position through dishonesty? The will of God is the best place to be. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid to embrace it. Remember, that's God's will for you is good, and it, and it's always good just to take a reality check and say, Am I on course? Am I going the way I need to go? Because you know, <laughs> life is but a blink, and then it's over. It's a soap bubble. You know, you blow you blow those bubbles, especially with my grandkids, and it get really big, and, and it's just beautiful, and reflects the different lights and the colors. And it's gone, before they can even touch it. Life is like that. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. The clock is ticking. Listen, if you're a believer here this morning, there will come a time where time is no more. We'll enter into eternity. It'll be glorious. But until that day, we're told in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We each have a limited amount of time on this earth. Let us use every second that we have to look for ways to bring glory and honor to God. Finally, if you're not a Christian here this morning, time is definitely not on your side. You have a short window left to give your life to Christ. We've all sinned, the Bible says. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. And if you die in your sin without receiving Christ, you'll spend eternity in hell. that's where time is no more. Eternity is eternity. Day after day after day after day in, in a place of torment, weeping of teeth, gnashing of teeth. A horrible place. But that's why Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins, rise again from the dead by believing in Him, putting our faith and trust in Him. He will give us eternal life. He will cleanse us of our sin. And we spend eternity in the presence of the Lord. But the time you have to make that decision is right now. To give your life to the Lord now. Because we don't know what tomorrow holds. The people going to, to, to work at 9-11, they didn't know what it was going to bring. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Make that commitment to follow Christ today. To give you, I want to give you that opportunity right now before we close. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time that we've spent in your Word. Holy Spirit, thank you for uh, amplifying things in our lives that we need to hear, that we need to apply, that we might be more like you, Jesus. And grow closer to you and our relationship with you. Lord, and I do pray for all of us here that, that in every step that we take as we walk out that door today. That we would seek your will. Lord, is this what you would have me to do? Is this the direction you would have me to go? Lord, how can I be used by you to bless you and honor you and bring glory to you? And Father, I do pray. If there's anyone here this morning that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you. They're not born again today. Lord, help them to know just how short time is and the importance of, of today is a day for salvation. Now is the time to repent of their sin and turn to you. Lord, give them the faith and the strength to make that commitment to you this morning, right now. While well, their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed, or anyone here, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today. You want to be born again. You want to know if you were to die today, you would go to heaven for eternity with Jesus Christ. If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? God bless you, ma'am, in the back. God bless you. Anybody else? This is just between you and the Lord, making that commitment, saying, Jesus, I want to know you. I want you to be my Savior, my Lord. I want to serve you. I want to have the hope of heaven. I want to live my life for you. Anybody else? Just raise your hand so I can see, see your hand. Maybe there's a desire in your heart to recommit your life to Christ. That's important too. To say, God, I haven't been following you. I haven't been walking the way that I should. I need to recommit my life to you today and to do those things and putting you first in my life. To live for you. You want to recommit your your life to Christ this morning, would you raise your hand? God bless you. While our eyes are bound, our heads are still closed. Strike that. Reverse it. Why don't you just pray this prayer after me for the one that gave her life to Christ and and, uh, recommitted. And and we can pray with her just as an encouragement because we're there. We, we, We know the Lord. Just repeat after me. God, thank you for your love and grace. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying for me. Arising again from the dead. I commit my life to You. Fill me with Your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with You all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right.